everyone and welcome to the Ocean Impact Podcast. My name is Amelia Helton. I'll be one of your co-hosts for today and I'm joined by the man, the myth, the legend, Tim Silverwood. How are you going, Tim? Amelia, I'm doing great. This is exciting to have a co-host on the podcast at last. It's a new one for you, isn't it? It's great. Hopefully everyone enjoys it, having a bit of extra perspective on this wonderful show. Exactly. I'm the uh, the communications coordinator at OIO and we're just pumped today because we're kicking off our fantastic Pitchfest 2021 series. How do you feel, Tim? I feel great. I mean, this was one of the series that when we first published it on the back of the Pitchfest 2020, we got massive positive feedback because at the end of the day, OIO is all about supporting and accelerating startups and Behind those startups are people. These are the founders and the leaders of these businesses that are actually driving this positive change. So in this series, that's exactly what we get to do. We get to learn the stories of the people behind these great startups. So true. And I think, I mean, we couldn't have kicked it off better today than with Jeff Kirshner from Literati. Do you want to just chat about a couple of the things that really stood out to you in this conversation? Yeah, of course. I mean, first of all, Literati and Jeff are solving a problem that we're all extremely familiar with. It's the problem of plastic and waste leaking out of our systems and ending up in the environment. And the thing I really love about Jeff's story is how authentic his entry into this was. It was him out in the woods with his young daughter, and his daughter is pointing out plastic and saying, Daddy, that doesn't belong there. So Jeff then opens up his creative mind. He starts snapping photographs. And before long, he realizes that these photographs are actually data. That's information about this problem. And that then became this incredible project that now, eight years later, is an incredible literati initiative worldwide. Yeah. And it's for those that don't know about it, this is an app that empowers individuals to make a significant and measurable impact on the environment by crowdsourcing the collection of litter, essentially, and then through that, creating a data set. And Jeff gives us a bunch of really great examples of of community-driven impact uh, just by using the app and using the data that that app generates. Yeah. And for me, because obviously I spent so much time leading and building a similar crowdsource cleanup organisation being Take Three for the Sea, which is a non-profit, obviously with Jeff and Literati, they've taken the profit for purpose path. And what I was really impressed by is that they've found after all these different attempts and is that they've actually found a business model. And that seems really centred around municipalities. He is ultimately getting paid by cities and governments because so many people are using the app and capturing this data. It's data that they otherwise aren't able to get access to and that data is essential to create positive change. So I'm just so proud that Jeff was able to find this great commercial business model, even though he'll be the first to argue and point out that it's not perfect yet, but he's certainly on his way. Yeah, and Jeff had a, a really good chat there about naivete as a strength. You know, he wasn't in the space, he wasn't a scientist or an environmentalist, but he was able to take things he'd learned along his journey and apply them to a problem in a different way. Um, and that's something that I think will be a theme of this podcast with all of our finalists. There's this great video with James Dyson where he discusses how a lack of experience mixed with huge curiosity is actually a huge benefit. 
And I think that's something that Jeff embodies so much. Yeah, and Jeff does point out a number of those aha moments. I was probing quite a bit. He definitely divulges lots of that great stuff in the podcast. So I'm sure those of you who go and tune in and listen to, to Jeff's story will find it super inspirational and maybe you'll end up downloading the app and participating in the literati community or maybe you'll even end up creating your own ocean impact idea or startup. So can't wait to hear feedback on that. Guys, feel free to leave us uh, a comment or a review on, on what you thought and what your biggest takeaway from this episode was. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Fantastic to have on the podcast Jeff Kirshner, who is the founder and CEO of Literati. How are you, Jeff? I'm well, Tim. Yourself? Yeah, doing really well and just so excited to, to dive into the world of Literati and you as a founder. So let's get straight into it. Um, I wonder if you could start by telling us a bit about the problem that you're solving. You know, how big is this problem? How have people been addressing this problem in the past? And, and why is Literati uh, such a, a revolutionary approach to dealing with this specific problem? Well, we're on a mission to create a litter-free world. And when you ask how big is the problem, I know the word pandemic has been used a lot lately, but I'm going to suggest that this is also a pandemic. Litter and plastic pollution impacts the economy. It affects the environment, degrades communities, kills wildlife, and now it's poisoning our food system. And so it is a massive, massive problem. And traditionally, you know, we solve most of these global problems with data. But strangely, this particular problem has had very little. I would argue that the data that has been generated has maybe been generated either without the right level of granularity or hasn't been really actionable. And so we decided to take an approach at Literati, which was, one, could we crowdsource that data because it's truly global? And then two, could we really leverage today's modern technologies to take that data to another level. Fantastic. So tell me a little bit then why you got involved in this particular issue in the first place. It obviously goes back to 2014 when Literati was founded and established and launched, but where's that personal why? What motivated you to, to set up this fantastic project? Yeah, I was never an active environmentalist. I, uh, I kind of fell over somewhat ass backwards into this whole world, and I'm glad that I did. I was walking through the woods with my two kids, and my daughter, who was four at the time, my son was two, they noticed they, this plastic tub, plastic tub of cat litter lying in a creek, and my little girl turned to me and she said, Daddy, that doesn't go there. And it was this innocent cherubic comment that I will never forget. And it was an eye-opening moment for me. And when she said that, it reminded me of when I was a kid. I used to go to summer camp. And on the morning of visiting day, the camp director would say, quick, everybody go pick up five pieces of litter. And you'd get a couple hundred kids, each picking up a few pieces. And a few minutes later, we had a spotless camp. And I thought, well, what if we could apply that crowdsourced behavior to the entire planet? And that was the inspiration for starting Literati. So you were inspired initially to, like you said, crowdsource this uh, crowdsource cleanup. When was it? And can you tell us a little bit about that arc when you realized that 
not only could you document your personal actions, you could use social media to perhaps motivate others. And then you had some sort of aha moments that, wait, this is actually so much bigger than just a, a creative approach to addressing a problem. Yeah, and it's interesting because I think that we're still continuously having those aha moments. I think that's part of the entrepreneurial journey is this constant discovery. Um, at least that's been my experience. So after that comment from my daughter, um, I took a photograph of a cigarette butt using Instagram. So you alluded to this earlier, but it's 2014, right? So Instagram is well-known, maybe a couple hundred million people at the time using that platform. And I started photographing pieces of litter using Instagram. Tim, I didn't have a rhyme or a reason. There wasn't an idea for a company. I just did it. And I took a photo and then I took a photo of a bottle cap and then of a Coke can and then of, you know, a potato chip wrapper and a coffee cup. And I noticed two things happening to me. The first was litter became artistic, right? The power of Instagram. And because it became artistic, it became approachable. Something I may have walked over or not even noticed became an opportunity for an interesting photo. The second thing that I noticed was that after a week, I had 50, 60 photos on my phone. And I had picked up every single piece I'd photographed. And I realized that the same way people measure the steps they walk, the calories they consume, the miles they ride, I'm measuring the positive impact I'm having on the planet. No idea what I could do with that information. Just thought it was kind of cool. And so I started telling people what I was doing. And again, all I was doing was taking this photograph on Instagram, adding this hashtag literati, and then discarding or recycling of what I found. What started to happen was that, you know, early on, I was telling my friends and family. So I knew everybody in the Instagram feed who was taking these photographs. But over the course of, I don't know, a month or two, I started seeing photos that had this hashtag from people I didn't recognize. And I realized that this hashtag was more than just a collection of pretty pictures. We were actually becoming a community. And what I then realized, this was probably the biggest aha moment at the time, was that every single one of those photos had a ton of data. And that for me was sort of the, wait a second, what could we start to do with all this information? And that's really how it started. Tell me a little bit more about your life at that time when you're having this aha moment and you're starting to get those cogs turning in your mind that this could be something you put a great deal of your effort into and, and perhaps build something. Um, what was sort of going on at that stage in your life and how did you actually start to incrementally build that picture of what you could actually do with what you were creating? I had just sold my last company, which was also in the technology space. Um, I will tell you that I learned a lot about how an acquisition can go wrong. And I, I'm a writer by trade. I started my career as a writer in advertising. It's what I love and, and stories are, are sort of what energize me more than anything. And so I was working on a screenplay and I was freelancing with some ad agencies and some companies just to kind of make ends meet and put food on the table. But in the back of my mind, I was thinking, what could this thing be? And honestly, I, I sort of started getting cursed because now all I could see was trash. 
and I was living in San Francisco, a place known for being environmentally responsible and ecologically progressive. But I couldn't unsee it. And what was interesting was that people started to hear about it. And suddenly I was being approached by small local press. And so the story started getting out there a little bit. And the smaller press turned into slightly bigger outlets and more people started hearing about it. And on the one hand, I was like, I think there's some there there. I, I don't know what there is, but, but something intuitively feels right. I'm not sure where to go, but I'm just going to follow it. And on the other side, I was like, but I have to support family and I, I need to, you know, make sure that I'm not getting too out there. Um, and at one point the pull just became irresistible. And I think it was more of those light bulb moments. And it got to the point where there was no way I couldn't at least take a swing. And what I, I think one of the things that helped me at that time was my naivete. Like I was not in the space. I am not a studied scientist. I was never an active environmentalist. I thought, Maybe I could apply some of the things I've learned along the way to this problem in a different way. And let's just see what happens. And I'm sure that's um, in many ways a big key to your success because when you use and interact with literati, it's, it is doing things that others don't do. And it always did that. It was the, the creativity initially. It was obviously the technology and the user experience. Um, I would love to go, Jeff, a little bit into the business model because uh, for those listeners out there not familiar with, with my background, I spent 10, 11 years leading a, a cleanup organisation called Take Three for the Sea, which would have faced many similar challenges in terms of, yeah, there's people out there across the world that are super mobilised and engaged to help you with that cleanup and with that data collection, but that doesn't necessarily... Um, and they were you to employ people and keep the lights on. So tell us a little bit about the journey of the business model um, from where it started to, to sort of where you are now and into the future. Yeah. And let me just say that, you know, early on, you know, your name had kept surfacing. People kept saying, Hey, do you know, Tim and take three for the street, take three for the sea. And um, you guys really should connect. And I think, you know, you were an inspiration to me personally, just because of the simplicity of your message from day one. It's really clear what take three for the sea really, excuse me, from the sea really means. And um, so you've always been an inspiration to me as well. The business model has always been tough for us. And, you know, I think maybe one of the themes of this conversation we're about to have might be these continuous light bulb moments. So early on, I had a lot of really bad ideas for business models. Oh, what if we could be an ad supported model? What if it could be freemium and we'll offer different value added services on the technology for the individuals in the community? What if, what if, what if? And I think one of the biggest mistakes I made along the way was not truly from a business perspective, not truly understanding who was the customer and who was going to, not only who was the customer, but what sort of budget did they have? What was the buying cycle like? What was the procurement process? These are all the things that I think so many of us who start down the path of trying to solve a social problem, 
might not be aware of if we don't have a business background. I'm a good example of that. And so we failed time and time again in terms of trying to figure out what a business model was. What has started to evolve has been this idea of scientific, accurate, verified data. And there are a number of organizations and cities and NGOs around the world who are looking for data to do things like inform policy around extended producer responsibility, as an example. Or they're looking for ways to ensure that their resources are properly allocated. Cities are a good example of that. And so as we've really started to test where our product fits into the market and where can we find a repeatable business model, it's that level of research-driven, highly scientific data, which is a departure from the community crowdsourced element of literati. And just to, sort of to add a little bit of context to that, we have this community of people all over the world in 185 countries who are identifying um, objects, materials, and brands uh, and where they're located. And the way it works is through a mobile application today. It's iOS and Android and free for anyone to download. You snap a photo and you're done. You're able to understand from that photograph um, what is being picked up, where it is, and when. And there's and the reason that that's the data set is there's a timestamp, there's a geotag, and then we have built these computer vision models that look at a photograph and can begin to detect what are the objects, what are the materials, and what are the brands. The crowdsourced approach to scientific data is not really a significant business because there's bias in that data. So what we've done is built a platform where we identify, train, and mobilize researchers all over the world who are helping um, collect data in a really meaningful, statistically significant way. That sounds to me like that was a, a really key moment. You mentioned in your TED talk about some previous models where uh, community members with clipboards and pens were trying to address the cigarette butt problem and Big Tobacco ended up suing them. And so that idea of that robust rigor attached to the scientific data, it's kind of essential, right? If you really want to tackle the big issues and have a watertight case against companies that might be uh, needed to change their policies. I love the way you put that, the robust rigor. I'm gonna, I'm, I might have to borrow that from you if you don't mind. Um, there's something about being able to identify, map, and monitor everything that's leaking out of the system and then integrate other data sets, which was another light bulb moment for us, right? We started thinking, how do we get to the root cause of this? How do we truly prevent this at the source? And it's got to be more than just identifying that there's a Starbucks plastic straw on this particular street, or there's a Coke aluminum can on that particular beach. It gets really interesting when you start integrating data sets such as commercial density, or the different retail locations of stores, or you introduce data sets such as topography, or human mobility. How do, you know, when humans move throughout Melbourne or Sydney, that can help influence where different material ends up. 
One of the most interesting data points that we data sources that we integrate now is something we refer to as points of interest. So a point of interest might be storm drain locations or transit stops. And you can start to really think about what do I see? What, how can I visualize this data that we're able to collect on our platform juxtaposed next to these other data sets that might be provided by a city, for example? How can we use that to just get more intelligent about solving the problem? And, and not to make this too long-winded, but one of our hypotheses at Literati is that the data and information that's been traditionally collected has been either inefficient, inaccurate, or frankly, ineffective of creating change. So as an example, a lot of times people will say, we collected X amount of bags on a beach cleanup. And that's great, right? We need that. And then maybe they compare it to the next year. We collected this many bags this year. Other than we went from 10 bags to 15 bags, we don't know what that tells you. Or we went from 10 pounds to 15 pounds. Is that just because there was more litter and trash outside? Is that because you had more participants? So that method hasn't really been terrific. Pencils and clipboards, I don't have to tell you the problems with that. And then the other thing that's been interesting is that some of the more progressive cities, at least in the United States, I'm not sure if you see this in Australia, is there's a visual assessment that's done on typically a one through four scale where one might be clean and four might be dirty. And they will do this in a drive-by setting often in a car. And they'll say that street's a one, that's a two, that's a four. Other than comparison year over year, I don't really know how helpful that is. And so we think that more robust, more granular, more comprehensive data can ultimately be a better path to solving the problem. Sounds to me like, you know, you must have really had to uh, contract or bring in house some pretty specific skills around data collection and analysis. Um, tell me a little bit about, from a team perspective, how you've resourced this very um, specific uh, direction that the, the business is taking? That is a great question. So one of the first hypotheses we had was that computer vision and machine learning was going to be critical to our success. And so we needed to find someone or someones who understood that world because those on the team at that time had zero experience. Um, and I mean, you know how it is having built several organizations yourself. It's, do you know a guy who knows a girl who knows a guy who knows a girl? And suddenly you find a candidate or two and they either work out or don't. And so we, we've been very, very fortunate in building the team. Um, and we were able to start working with initially a student um, who has now for the last two years been uh, running all of our computer vision um, and just a tremendous individual named Kush Aswani. At the same time, we started ingesting a tremendous amount of photographs. You know, it could be anywhere from 50,000 to 150,000 a day. And we didn't have the architecture and infrastructure to properly support that volume of information. And so finding somebody who really understood data architecture and systems um, was critical. And so that individual became part of the team. And then, of course, the data science, understanding how to make sense of the mayhem that was coming in. What, what does this mean if you have, you know, a thousand McDonald's wrappers in this given area? And how do you start to take 
what is a really complex amount of information and create a very concise, clear, and compelling story to share with your customers, with your community, with the public. Um, that hiring has been um, a challenge in many ways, but unbelievably rewarding. I am so grateful for the individuals that have chosen to take this journey with us. Yeah, fantastic. Well done on that and well done to all those team members who've contributed. That's a good little segue into my next question, which is about those key achievements um, that you've had over the years and some of those key challenges you've encountered with your startup. Is there some that really stand out for you? I'll tell you, there's way more challenges that stand out than the achievements. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, I, you know, I know that I'm preaching to the choir. You, you know this as well as I do. This is hard. This is really, really hard on so many levels. Um, so let me start with the achievements because I think it's a smaller list. You know, I'm very proud of the fact that we've been able to um, just build a technology that works and one that people find um, useful and and hopefully delightful and and rewarding. And and our goal is to build something that others can um, participate in, right? Where other people can say, you know what? I want to be part of the solution. Give me something to do. And so if that's the small role that we can play, that, that's a place I'm really, I'm, I'm really proud and excited to be in. So, so that's an achievement, just building the technology and to continue evolving it and advancing it. And I can tell you, Tim, we've made a ton of mistakes. I'll get to those in a minute, but like that's certainly not been a, a linear path. Um, I'm really proud of the the financial partners that have joined us and 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 frankly enabled us to do the work that we do. Um, you know, from the initial Kickstarter campaign that we successfully ran to our our first funding from the National Science Foundation uh, here in the U.S. to our earliest friends and family and, and angel investors and to our current you know institutional uh, venture capitalists. I am, you know in debt to all of them and, and indebted to all of them and, and so grateful that uh, they're part of this. But that was a real achievement. That was not something that I had done before. And so that, that was, you know, you learn a lot going through the adversity. Um, I think I'm really happy with the team we built. But perhaps the biggest achievement we've had is just the change, right? Like the change that the people that have participated in have been able to enact, whether it's changes in policy or packaging or personal responsibility. So you mentioned the cigarette story earlier. You know, that was amazing to me that we were able to, you know, help the city of San Francisco generate what is now about $4 million a year in annual recurring revenue just by understanding the percentage of cigarette-related material leaking out of the system. And that policy holds to me, that was a really big achievement or the fact that in Holland, because of the community there, they were able to identify, I think it's nearly 50,000 plastic wrappers that came from a product called Antiflu made by a company called Pervasco. Antiflu is like a little cough drop candy, candy wrapper. And they took that data to the company and the CEO to his credit said, give me a year. I'm going to change the supply chain. And he did. And now the Antiflu uh, candies are, are for the most part no longer wrapped in plastic they're wrapped in paper and sealed with wax um, or on the personal responsibility side this was in the TED talk also and I, this was the first 
what we call story of impact. When a group of fifth graders used, you know, our platform to pick up 1,247 pieces of litter just on their schoolyard, and they learned that the most common type of litter were the plastic straw wrappers from their own cafeteria. So the schools stopped buying straws. Like just really simple. I think it's those stories, those milestones of impact is ultimately what I am most happy for, most proud of on the achievement side. And then there's the challenges. And as you and I were talking, you know, before we got rolling, they're never ending. They come fast. They come from all sorts of directions. And, you know, they can be anxiety producing. And whether it's a challenge like, a much larger company has just put a very, very lucrative offer in front of one of your key team members and you're in danger of losing that individual or the technology just breaks or someone in the community isn't happy with something you've done or wish you had done something faster or a client isn't happy. Like there's so many challenges with building a company and I, or anything for that matter, with building anything for that matter. And, and you know, my hat goes off to anyone who's in the trenches doing it day in and day out. And, and at the end of the day, my attitude is, this is a massive problem that is worth solving and it's worth solving today. And we're gonna take the biggest swing we can to do that. And if we fall flat on our face, so be it. But we, we've accomplished quite a bit and I think we got quite a, quite a ways to go. Well, well um, I take my hat off to you and the entire team for, for doing that because it is hard. So. On the back of that, um, is there some key learnings from your journey that you would share to those entrepreneurs and founders tuning into this podcast or thinking about a journey down this path or already on one and facing some adversity? Do you have some sort of key takeouts that you'd like to share with those people? We could be here a while. Um, Yeah, one would be give yourself time. Like the overnight success is not typical. You know, there's certainly those quotes that say it takes 10 years for an overnight success, and I I believe that's true. Be patient, right? This, the harder the problem you're trying to solve, and I believe those are the ones worth going after, the longer it's going to take. I've been at this for basically 10 years. Um, so be patient. It takes time. And you learn along the way what works and what doesn't. And I think learning what doesn't work is just as, if not more important than learning what does. But patience, I think, is a key one. Another one is not that anybody would go it alone, but it comes down to the people that you surround yourself with. And if you can put yourself in a position where you're surrounded by people that you just have the utmost respect working alongside with, I like to say we walk shoulder to shoulder, right? Every interview I do with a teammate, I, I tend to want to go on a walk because my attitude is we're not facing across a table from one another. We are walking shoulder to shoulder down this path. So putting yourself with people that don't necessarily come from your, ideally don't come from your background and bring skill sets that you don't. And, you know, diversity and inclusivity is a big part of what we do. Team and 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 surrounding yourself with those people you respect, I think is critical. Another, I'll give you just two more um, because I feel like there are a ton, but there are two that really come up. Finding product market fit is absolutely critical. There are so many people 
And man, I have made this mistake time and time and time again. They build solutions before they truly understand the problem. And the worst mistake you can make, and we have made this mistake more than once, is that you end up thinking in just your office, just your team, just your head about what you think the world wants without actually getting out and talking to the world and seeing what the world needs. And not just what would be a nice to have, like what is the red hot pain they are suffering that if you put your product in front of them and give it to it, give it to them free for a month, and then on day 32, you take it back from them, if they don't come back screaming, give me that product back, you don't have product market fit. And so I think really making sure that you have that before you waste time, energy, resources, money is, is a really critical lesson that I've learned. And I've learned it the hard way and I have plenty of the scars to show for it. And then the last one I would say is don't wait. Like you got something you want to do, whether it's write a book, call a friend, start a company. What are you waiting for? There is no, it's never going to be better. There's never going to be the perfect time. Life is way too short. And so I would say, just start now. Well, I, I'm motivated. Uh, I'm pretty tied up with OIO, so I can't do anything else at the moment. That was some very powerful <laughs> words there, Jeff. I feel, uh, I feel empowered. Um, all right, so let's just talk a little bit then about um, the roadmap for the future for, for Literati and for yourself. Um, what do you got coming up as key priorities or maybe even some some updates of what you're currently excited about right now and into the future? Just give us a little bit of a glimpse. Yeah, so our number one focus and priority is really all around that hardcore data science and continuing to build out the platform that we can bring in more and more of these citizen scientists, which by the way, anybody can become. We have a very simple sort of training module that people go to to follow us a very specific protocol um, all over the world. And, we, and we're very fortunate that we have people all over the world who are um, currently you know, part of that community. Um, and everything we can do to ensure that the data that is collected and visualized and mapped is as world-class as it can possibly be. So that's really where we're focused, and that includes everything from the machine learning models and the data, in, the integration of other data sets, um, all the mapping functionality, the reporting that comes with it. Um, that for us is really the, the top priority. Uh, and it has to align with what our clients and those community members are really looking for. Some of the things that are coming down that I'm most excited about um, are some <clears throat> projects with um, some countries who are looking for some very large scale uh, research projects, as well as some of the larger NGOs in the world. Um, there are a couple in particular that we started working with that um, I'm excited. I'm excited to learn from them. I'm excited to see how we can improve and I'm excited to give them, you know, really what they're looking for. That's really great. All right. Well, we're uh, coming to the end of what I found an incredibly inspiring and insightful conversation. Um, but we'll finish up Jeff with just um, some words from you around how people can support your journey, get involved. And in they've already mentioned a few ones um, and then just, you know, finish by closing out with any other words that you wanted to share today that you haven't got to yet. Yeah. So, um, we broke up for a second there, Tim, but I think what you asked was, you know, ways that people can reach me. Uh, and if that's not what you asked, here's how you can reach me. Um, I'm just Jeff at literati.org and you can find, that's my email and I'm happy to, you know, uh, hear from anybody. Uh, 
uh, and you can find us on all the social channels um, and we would love to hear from you. And, you know, what I would offer is that so many people feel overwhelmed by the state of the world. Um, and I think what I've learned and Tim, I would assume you, you've seen this as well is that people just feel desperate for wanting to be part of a solution, wanting to contribute to something greater than themselves. And so much of the work that you guys do at OIO and, and what we do at Literati, you know, allows for that. It allows for people to take action and to be part of a community and to be part of a solution. And so I would invite anyone um, to, to, to join us on our mission and to join you on yours um, because we're at the end of the day, we're all in it together. You know, one of the things I, I like to say is that individually you can make a difference, but together we create an impact. Fantastic, Jeff. Well, uh, from everyone at OIO and in our community, thank you for what you do. It's been a pleasure to follow your journey and we can't wait to see where it goes next. Thanks again. Thanks so much, Tim. Can't take the ocean out of